In today's episode, we're sharing our challenges around mealtimes and some tips we use in our homes. Hey everyone, welcome to the Papa Fatigue podcast, the podcast for dads by dads. If there's one daily stressor in my life, it's mealtime with the kids. And it's not so much the activity of eating with the kids, which I, I enjoy quite a bit. It's really more like, what are they actually going to eat tonight? And so today, Jim and I are going to talk about our challenges and give some tips that work for us that you might want to try for yourself. First, here's my deal. I'm Dave. I have an eight-year-old girl and a five-year-old boy. I'm Jim. I've got an eight-year-old girl and a five-year-old girl. Great. So, you know, while this episode isn't really about the benefits of eating as a family, we thought it would be useful nonetheless to remind people of the value of this ritual. So we've got a couple data points here that I thought were interesting. Only about 30% of families regularly eat dinner together, but 80% of teenagers say that family dinner is the time of the day that they're most likely to talk to their parents. Regular family dinners are associated with lower rates of depression, anxiety, substance abuse, eating disorders, tobacco use, early teenage pregnancy, higher rates of resilience, higher self-esteem. Like It's kind of like all the things that you're worried about as a parent just sit down and eat family dinners together, which I found that one was really funny. <laughs> um, also, though, for preschoolers, the organic language that happens at the dinner table actually turns out to have 10 times as many rare or uncommon words than they get in school or on the playground. And that's really important because kids who have a large vocabulary learn to read faster and uh, more easily, or I guess they learn to read earlier and more easily. And then kids who eat regular family dinners in elementary school and high school get better grades. And that effect is stronger than doing homework, art, or sports. Again, if you kind of think about this, it's really like a list of all the things that worry you about being a parent and, hey, let's just have dinner. And I'm not sure that it's quite that easy, but at least it sort of lays the groundwork for, uh, I think, having those conversations and and, um, basically aligning to put your kid in a good place. It makes you wonder if it's a correlation question or a causation question. And, you know, maybe the, the parents that have dinner together are the kind of parents that encourage those things. But that's a pretty strong connection i would think. yeah but but i i know and i think there is could you know there could be something to that too right we're neither one of our statisticians or anything but yeah i think there's a question about well, if you're gonna if you're the kind of parent that makes the time to do all this stuff are you also the one that's heavily engaged in you know their schooling and helping with homework and all that other stuff um so yeah whether it's causation or correlation but you know i think it's still interesting as we sort of frame up this conversation as it relates to mealtime because it's just it's such a regular thing and, and if you struggle with it like we do i mean it's just a daily all right what's for lunch what's for dinner and oftentimes it's also what's for breakfast so like three times a day we're stressing over it so jim what did mealtime look like for you when you were a child i have memories of a family meal of uh, sitting around the table but i i don't it's not a real strong memory for me any of the sort of uh, of mealtime uh, that we had. So I do, I don't know if it was a regular Sunday night dinner like we do in my family, or if it was just, if everyone was home, we'd, we'd eat together. Uh, my, my dad would travel for work. So he was gone frequently. And for a big part of my childhood, my mom was, uh, studying at a night program, uh, for night school. And so I've got an older sister and a younger brother. So we all kind of take care of each other's and, mm-hmm. and so it'd either be my mom and the kids or it'd be the kids kind of taking care of each other. Uh, and then having family meal together when we when we could. So the three of you guys ate dinner together, though, it sounds like on a regular basis, the three kids. 
Yeah, usually, because one of us would take the lead and, and would prepare the meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, usually my sister, uh, my sister or I, uh, for my younger brother, and then we would sit down and eat together. Now, what kind of, I'm curious, what kind of meals were you guys cooking? I mean, it sounds like you were only a few years apart. This is maybe, what, high school-ish? Yeah, those are some of the memories. I was probably in late elementary school. Okay. Uh, so my my sister would have been in high school, mm. and yeah, and so it was one of the reasons why I learned how to cook because uh, my dad, when he was the one that was in charge of dinner, just would open a can of something, mm-hmm. uh, which wasn't great, and then uh, my sister and I, and, and I guess my brother to a certain extent, had to get really creative, mm-hmm. and find some things that we like to eat, and you can only you know have hot dogs and hamburgers so many times before right. you got to find something more interesting to eat. You know, during the summertime when I was growing up, so I'm six years older than my brother unfortunately for him because that meant that when i was in high school and sleeping in during the summers he was still getting up you know regularly <laughs> and so my parents would be off to work and i would i'm supposedly in charge of breakfast and i would just never wake up and so he started making himself cheese rice because there's always rice lying around the house and just throw it in a microwave put some cheese on top of it and that was breakfast and i'm a terrible brother for letting him do that but at least there's a story uh from his memory it's two meal group, two uh, food groups. That's pretty right. But, I mean, you know, it's like a yeah. I mean, he's just missing a, a vegetable, and we're good to go. <laughs> so uh, for me, I remember growing up with a lot of home cooked meals. So unlike you, my dad was always making breakfasts every morning. He would get up early and and do that. So you know, I I didn't really grow up with cereal or, or frozen foods in the morning. Everything was made fresh, which I've appreciate and certainly have appreciated even more so as I've kind of gotten older and and realized what a struggle that is to do every single day. You know, for dinner, we did always eat as a family, probably lasted about an hour every night. My parents, I think, made it a point to eat together. You know, they're both busy executives, but they made it a point for us to sit down. and, And even those dinners, even though that they were busy, I don't ever remember really eating out that much. I think that was more of a luxury kind of thing. Like it was, you know, we're going to home cook everything. And growing up, the the rule was sort of like, you know, eat this or don't eat, but that's your call. Like we're not going to, you know, we're not going to make anything else. This is what is for dinner. And I think that was sort of always how it was growing up. And um, that is something that I'm trying to do in my house because I'll get to kind of some of the challenges that we're having over here a little bit later on. And then sort of lastly, the, the kids have been responsible for the dishes every night. And, and so the only way to get out of that is if, you know, there was an extraordinary amount of homework or you had a test the next morning. And, you know, going back to sort of, I guess, this kind of concept of the family meal, I remember even when my friends would come over for dinner, they knew that we were, you know, if they were hanging out with me and it was, we're going to roll till dinner time, you know, they're going to have dinner with us. And it's going to be, especially when you have guests over, it's going to be like a two hour dinner. Like we're just <laughs> hanging out, shooting the shit with my friends. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of sort of family time. And I, I, I remember those, those, um, those moments fondly. So, you know, with that as a, a backdrop in terms of how we grew up, can you talk a little bit about what mealtime looks like in your house today? Usually, so most of the meals that we have, we've got a, a sort of a, a, a bar or an island in our kitchen. And then we had a couple of stools. So usually for a lot of the meals, breakfasts and, and lunches, certainly, uh, either my wife or I will make something for the girls and they'll sit down and, and you will kind of stand in the kitchen and, and uh, be with them while they're eating their meal. Um, sometimes, uh, sometimes I'll cook eggs for breakfast or something kind of lightweight weekends, you know, we'll do the waffles or pancakes or something on, on special Sundays. 
Uh, and then usually the, the parents will eat separately. Either, you know, if my wife needs to work late, she'll get her own dinner a little bit later. I'll, I'll either work, eat with the girls or, you know, find something shortly afterwards. Um, and we do have a, we do eat together regularly twice a week. Once is Friday night. We have a, a Friday night movie and we get takeout, so we don't have to cook on Friday night. Mm-hmm. And then on Sunday, we go to Sunday family meeting. And so every week, it's kind of a, a ritual. We make it a priority to get together and have our family meal together. Um, so I guess most of it is just me feeding the girls. And then we've got times where we're, we will all eat together at least three or four times a week. Mm. I like, you know, can you talk a little bit more about the Sunday dinners? Because we've sort of talked about that on other conversations about the um, allowance and how to handle allowance. And I think it's, you know, your Sunday night dinner is... is, is uh, it feels like it's a very sort of special and planned meal. And can you just talk a little bit about that uh, here? I credit my wife with coming up with the idea, and I, I don't know what parent book she got it out of, but um, or something that maybe that she did with her family. I'm not actually sure. But we every Sunday night we'll have our family meeting, Sunday dinner, family meeting, and we uh, we do something called compliments and appreciation, where we go around and each person. Uh, gives one compliment and then an appreciation, some sort of gratitude, you know, thank you for doing this or thank you for doing that. And I think it's a good exercise. It's, um, you know, that we use the phrase, the, the fill up your bucket from the, that book. seems to fill up everyone's bucket. And then we talk about uh, the schedule for the week, what's going to happen and kind of give a, a heads up. And then we have kind of a, an open family meeting business section, you know, anything else we want to talk about. Maybe there's some disciplinary things we want to talk about or we have some changes coming up and I don't know, our sleep schedule, let's say. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's a good sort of bedrock. It's got a good rhythm to it that we do it every week. And then, uh, you know, I'll usually prepare a nice Sunday kind of dinner, something mm-hmm. a little bit more elaborate than we would have during the week. Um, and then uh, and then we finish up and clear the table. And then we have a family game night where we'll play, you know, a, a game together. And every week we rotate who gets to pick the game. So mm-hmm. so it's fair for the, the younger one and the older one. And and uh, I mean, I think that's good. You know, you were talking about the language. I think it's a lot of interaction around things that are non-standard. I mean, the, the language that you use around games is different than you would use elsewhere. Talking about the schedule, uh, you know, all that stuff. I think, I think I can see how our family meeting hits a lot of the points that you were pointing out. Yeah, and I, I, I just I love that idea because I think it's just so intentional about you know, we keep coming back to this word intentional, but I think sort of the parenting and, and laying it out and it, it provides like you talk about right sort of a a checkpoint at the end of the week and there's a rhythm to it that you kind of get into and you know maybe something where you know you've been sort of busy during the course of the week and you haven't gotten around to saying something about something there's sort of that check-in at the end of the week so i i really like that concept we, we're still trying to work our way through a number of other mealtime challenges but i'd ultimately <laughs> like to get to the point where you're at where you know again we have this sort of deep and intentional family meal where you know, there's just a whole bunch of, I think there's a whole bunch of layers to it, I guess is what it is, right? There's, it's just, um, I don't know, it's just a, if I were to reduce sort of the family and all the stuff that happens in the course of the week, it can be sort of summed up in what you guys are doing in that, that one meal. So I, I really like that idea. Yeah, precisely. It's, it, you know, like you talk about, it's a reflection, it, you know, hey, girls, you had that great performance on Friday at the end of camp or, you know, on, on, on Wednesday when you had, you know, your friends over, you played really well together and mm-hmm. things of that nature. And then it's also forward-looking, you know, here's what we have on the calendar for the next week. So like I say, there's something about it, something about a rhythm. It's got a certain rhythm to it that, that seems to really help, mm-hmm. a little bit of structure. Yeah. So on our end, both my wife and I do, we intermittent fast, so no breakfast for us. So 
the kids will always eat breakfast together, but we'll make the breakfast. And usually someone will kind of hang out either. If it's during the school year, I'll be hanging out in the kitchen making lunch for them so I can kind of keep an eye on making sure that everybody's eating. And on the weekend, it's a little bit more Lord of the Fliesy, uh, as is summer, where it's just kind of like, all right, here you go. And uh, I guess when you're done, you're, you're done. So already you're starting to see the thread of problems here. Um, <laughs> you know, we do always eat dinner as a family, though. So I, I do appreciate that. And we, we do make uh, that a, a focal point for us. And on the weekends, we eat lunches together also because we're there together. You know, the, the main variation really in our sort of schedule is going to be that during the summer, the kids are mostly eating lunch during the weekday on their own because the parents are, you know, either my wife's either taking a meeting or I'm running to something else and I don't have as much time. So, you know, not maybe the best modeling behavior for our particular situation, just kind of leave the kids on their own. But uh, that's just kind of the way it's evolved, at least over this summer. And then at the end, the kids are responsible for clearing the table and emptying the dishwasher. The dishwasher was one of the first things I remember when the kids were younger. I was like, at what point can I start assigning them chores? Like the things that I don't want to do. And the dishwasher was one of the ones that came up the soonest. So they're responsible. So my daughter handles the top rack and the bottom. And then the younger, our son is is responsible for just getting rid of the, um, the utensils. Because also that's like a sorting exercise for him too. So that's kind of how things work at our house. Yeah, one other thing about the family dinner that you reminded me about the the dishwasher and a little bit of responsibility is that we will will practice restaurant manners. And mm-hmm. you know, you talk about the other challenges about uh, you know them getting up during the meal or mm-hmm. you know not uh, uh, you know leaving without being excused, things mm-hmm. like that. We got to practice restaurant manners. And it's what I was thinking is if you know how early do you train them to do chores? And mm-hmm. my wife and I started this restaurant manners thing really early on. You know, mm-hmm. put your napkin on your lap and. And being able to start, they don't know any different now. You know, mm. so when you say restaurant manners, they know what we're talking about and they've got to practice that. Mm. I like that because we don't, we don't have restaurant manners. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm concerned that now that COVID's over and once we start really going back to the restaurants, yeah. it's going to be a mess. So it actually is something that I've been thinking about. Like, And on the rare occasion when we do go out, the kids are pretty good though. I, I'm always a little shocked at the fact that they can just sit there and they seem to be able to get it together when necessary. Uh, but the difficulty is in keeping them consistent. And actually, when they're at my parents' place, so we used to go over there every Friday for dinner pre-COVID. Now we're kind of slowly starting to get back into that rhythm. But they are uh, properly behaved uh, at mm-hmm. grandma and grandpa's. And I think also part of that is, you know, when they go over to their house in general, grandma and grandpa, when we're not around, grandma's pretty, you know, strict is not the word, but she is just like you, right? Like, hey, you don't structure. get up and run around. Yeah, the structure. You don't get around and run around. Here's a napkin, you know, wipe your mouth on the napkin. So I think part of it is, right, they they know what they can get away with, and they're going to push the boundaries every way they can. And sometimes at the end of the day, when you're exhausted, you're like, all right, I'm going to let that burp slip or, you know, whatever that is. So it's that is, I think, more a reflection of us than the kids. We, we need to be... Um, you know, better about that with the kids and, and, and enforcing those those uh, kinds of rules. So, I mean, I think that's a good sort of segue into the biggest challenges that you have around food and mealtimes. And I think that yours are a lot smaller than mine, but uh, significant nonetheless. I, I think for everybody, you know, everybody has mealtime challenges. What I'm going through right now is uh, looking at quality and quantity of calories and just making sure that they're right you know mm-hmm. making sure that they've got enough calories and of the, of the the right kind 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, particularly fruits and vegetables. I mean, I'm not alone in this. I, parents struggle with this all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but making sure that they eat something uh, from the earth, we call it, eat something mm-hmm. from the earth, either fruits or vegetables. And um, make sure that they take at least three bites of something. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the challenge is I don't like it or I don't want it. And, uh, you know, frequently there'll be a, a big challenge at the beginning until they start eating. Mm-hmm. And then they're three bites into it and then it's fine. You know, yeah. they love it and, and they're eating the meal. They're not thinking twice about it. Um, the meal times I think are pretty well taken care of. What's what's the problem now? And maybe it's summer and everyone's unstructured, but we're having a lot of snacks and a lot of candy, mm-hmm. and the, the and, and a lot of treats. And I had to explain mm-hmm. to him what the word treat means. A treat means something <laughs> special, right? It's, it's not something you have every day. Um, so there's not, I don't know if entitlement's the right word, but they've mm-hmm. lost the sort of sense of you know like you said you have like dessert night is that what mm-hmm, you said mm-hmm. like you have one night where you have dessert yeah once upon a yeah well, yeah we'll get into that but yes we yes yeah, sort of <laughs> yeah we're we're a little bit more liberal with that <laughs> and then uh, you know the candy from the birthday parties or the pinatas mm-hmm. or whatever that seems to kind of just float around and <laughs> we really gotta you know they'll sometimes they'll ask fine you can have a piece of candy frequently i'll find wrappers in the couch and mm-hmm. you know, know that they've been digging in there anyway so Anyhow, so that's I'm trying to cut out on the sugar, cut out on the junk food, and get them to eat more substantial things for nutrition. I have two comments about yours. First of all, I would I would uh, love to have the problems that you have around meals. <laughs> I mean, that's, that seems like a great thing. Uh, this seems like great problems to have. The other thing that you reminded me of is talking about sort of finding candy wrappers in the couch. Uh, yeah, it's it's amazing how these kids can just sort of squirrel away candy and they just pop up in the most random places. But mm-hmm. I, honestly, there is one thing that I do let them get away with because at this point, our five-year-old, he's not super good at keeping secrets. Like he'll kind of tell you the secret, whispering it to you, but it's really supposed to be a secret between him and his sister. But he'll come up to me and say something like, all right, we're going to eat the candy now, right? I'm like, no, that's between you and just... So there, I actually do... Because I, I appreciate the bond that they have as siblings, I will play ignorant when there's like a secret, like, all right, we're going to go eat candy now, right? Don't tell dad. I'm like, all right. <laughs> like, I'm clearly like standing right there. Yeah. Uh, but it's something that I just, all right, I'll pretend I didn't hear that because I do, I kind of like them having little small secrets mm-hmm. between, you know, th- that they can share as siblings. So that's kind of one little area where I'll I'll let them kind of slide on on a few things. But yeah, I mean, honestly, your problems would be a dream for me. So, you know, starting at the top, and I would say it's really focused around our youngest. And again, not entirely his fault. There's been some slacking on our end. But uh, the first thing is he is constantly bringing toys to the table, yeah. which is problematic for a number of reasons. One is he doesn't focus. And two is that we're very small people and we actually eat our t- our meals at a like a preschool table so my <laughs> wife and i sit at this table I mean, it's a tiny little table it barely fits the four of us and like when he brings a lego like there's no space to eat anything yeah. anymore so there's a whole bunch of problems with that but yeah i mean the main issue is that it's just distracting to everybody and now you know he's playing when he should be eating so i think one is that the focus at mealtime for him at least is not quite there yet and we, we do have to say look when it's time to eat it's time to eat and i guess as a corollary to that he gets up and walks around all the time so yeah, grab a bite, a and you know, and also I think part of it is that our we have a playroom, which is our dining room. So we've we've lost the use of our dining room, for, so the kids have a playroom, and it was mostly made a lot of sense when the kids were younger. But it's right next to where we eat, and so you know, it's literally just 
three steps and you're in the, the playroom. And yeah, I mean, that is an issue. And like I said, though, he's great. Like those issues are not issues that we see at grandma's house. Like he's got toys over there, but he's not bringing them to the table. He's not wandering around. So this is really, I think, a reflection of, I don't want to say a lax attitude, but um, the, the fact that we have not been really enforcing the rules at our house. So that is definitely on us. The other thing, and the, the, I would say, I guess the biggest thing for me is that, and this is not on us entirely, is that he's very, very picky and he's not willing to try new foods. And there are certainly things where you're like, I know you're going to like this, but he just sort of has that block. Like he's not even willing to try it. And, you know, it gets to the point where now travel becomes an issue, right? Where you're out and you're like, well, what is this kid going to eat? I mean, the last time we were in Japan, granted, he was only three, but we would go to restaurants and he wouldn't eat anything. So now we've got to go to the convenience store and get like a rice ball, which he'll always eat that, but it's not the most, it's not unhealthy, but it's mostly carbs uh, and starch. That means there's a little bit of protein in there, depending on what you get. So, you know, the, the, this pickiness is really starting to become an issue. And certainly we do travel or we did travel, you know, a decent amount and, and traveled internationally a decent amount. And, you know, sometimes when you're in Asia, you're looking for, you know, he's looking for cheese or strawberries. And, and in some of these countries, it's, they're not, you have to go to like a specialty grocery store to get cheese or strawberries. <laughs> and then that just becomes a whole nother problem. So, you know, there's beyond just the fact that he's picky, it, like it pervades a whole, there's all these dominoes that fall because of this pickiness and because of this pickiness. And we're really starting to try and figure out how to address that. You know, I would say that our daughter did also go through a similar phase when she was younger, but you know, now that she's eight, she's sort of come out it on the back end and she's, she's pretty good at, at least trying everything there will be things that she's like i'm not gonna like that and then yeah she she gets a few in and she's like oh it's pretty good and i have a list i actually have a list of menus or recipes that they actually eat because for a while it was just so few things like even on with our son i could count them all on my hand everything you could eat i really empathize with you and your younger uh your younger child your son and that it's Mm -hmm. um I think you got the right idea. I mean, he's a he's a little guy. He's a thin little guy. <laughs> yeah. But you don't know if that's because he's picky or if that's right. uh, as a consequence. You know, he's either a picky eater or he's uh, he's thin because he he's not eating. But I think you got the right idea because it almost seems. Uh, I mean, I don't want to give unsolicited advice, but it almost seems like a behavioral thing. You know, like he can pull your strings and you know. Yeah. He, he can command the the situation. Yeah, and I think a lot of times with just sort of, I don't want to say discipline's not the right word, but I think a lot of times when there are maybe challenges with kids, oftentimes it's it's the parent is unwittingly doing something. Exactly. Right. right? And and the kids just sort of seeing their... Unintended consequences. Yeah. The kids seeing their shot and they're, they're shooting their shot. And so I think that, yeah, we just have to kind of tighten up. And I don't know if part of that too is like, he's the youngest. Like as a five-year-old, I still love to carry this kid. Like I'll carry him... When I yeah. pick him up at school, I'll carry him to the end of the block. And I'm like, do you see here that you're the only kid being carried around here? <laughs> like, there are a bunch of three-year-olds and four-year-olds that are walking, but you're you're being carried. So let's, we're going to have to stop this. But at least for now, I do enjoy it. He is the baby. But yeah, I think that certainly there are things that uh, he's been getting away with and that we just need to kind of put our foot down. And and. I think certainly part of the part of the challenge that we have is just the communication between my wife and I just we have to be on the same page in terms of I understand that she's concerned that he's not eating and so she's like all right well let's 
you know, let's find him something to eat. And that was kind of the, the challenge because I'm like, well, I don't, I don't want to do that because then he's going to learn. And I'm not putting this all on my wife because I certainly do that too, right? Like, because even now where we, we've gotten on the same page, we were just, uh, I think we were just at my parents' place and he wasn't going to eat anything. And so I'm like, all right, look, um, I'm going to shred you some cheese because he'll always eat shredded cheese. So I just shred you some cheese. He's like, I don't want to eat that. I'm like, all right, do you want me to stick it in a grilled cheese sandwich? Because it's still the same thing, right? And my wife's like, no, he's going to eat the shredded cheese or not. I'm like, complete reversal, right? It used to be me, the one that's like, no, don't do that. And now that we're both agreed, I'm the one that's like, well, he should eat some, a little concern, you know? So I think that that's the thing is that we just have to stick to our guns. And honestly, this is a conversation that should have happened like two years ago when he was three. Like we should have, and I tried to implement that and we just didn't do it. And so, yeah, we just have to do it, go cold turkey and we have to stick to it. And I think it might take a little bit of time, but he'll learn. And, you know, the same way that it's just uh, breakfast is kind of evened out. And, you know, it's it's now that breakfast is on a fairly normal path, like that just, it relieves a lot of pressure. And so if we could just get him to eat or at least to try stuff, that would take the pressure valve off quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree. We That's something that we got to work on. Jim, you know, as, as we're thinking about this, do you have any rules that you guys have around food and at mealtimes? Because again, we're starting, we have to implement some of these things because of how we've been doing things. And I'm, so I'm curious, given this, the struggles that you guys have, if you have any rules. We've had a, some similar experiences. No toys at the table. That's a rule for the same reasons. Uh, yeah. They get distracted. They won't eat. Um, they got to try three bites of everything. Mm-hmm. They got to stay in their seat. Uh, if they're going to get up for any reason, if they need to use the washroom or get something, they have to ask to be excused and ask for permission. Uh, that's more at the sitting at the dining room table mm-hmm. than anything else. Of course, you know, no talking with your mouth full, mm-hmm. you know, chew with your mouth closed, those sort of basic things. Uh, they got to clear their plate. And uh, I mean, I guess that's pretty it for, for rules. Uh, every once in a while, uh, the, there was a time where I got pretty lax and would let them um, listen to stories on the iPad. There's something called Storyline mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm. Epic. Yeah. And so I'd let them listen to a story while they had their, their meal, mm-hmm. mostly so, I don't know, they'd entertain them and give me some time to get some things done. Right. But what I found is that they did not eat. I mean, mm. you know, they got so absorbed in watching the show and maybe mm. they intentionally dragged the meal out so they could have screen time. Mm. But I think they just got distracted so they'd forget to eat. So mm-hmm. that's another rule. We don't do that anymore. No screen time. The only time we eat in front of a screen is the, the Friday night mm-hmm. uh, movie night where we get the takeout. Other than that, there's no, no mm-hmm. screen time at the table. You know, on the stay in your seat, I've actually gone back and forth with this. We have chairs that sort of have uh, almost like bars in the back, right? So they're not sort of flat, solid pieces of wood on the back. And a couple of times, I'm actually, I've buckled him into the chair. <laughs> now I'm actually thinking, the challenge with that is he can kind of get out of it. And I'm thinking of basically getting a, just a more difficult buckle because I'm like, look, this has got to stop. And if you can't do it yourself, I am just going to lock you in this chair and you're not getting up until the dinner's done. So I have something in my Amazon cart that's just I'm like ready to hit the button on that. I've five I've done point enough research for the dinner table. Yes, no, I've actually looked at five four harnesses. <laughs> I have looked at five four harnesses to see if they could work. So uh, yeah, I'm actually pretty serious about it. So we'll look at it. I we'll try a little bit before we go to that level of extreme. But it is something that I'm looking at, and I I really like the three bites of everything actually because we don't have that yeah. rule. It's just like one bite, and it, and and then they're like they take the small bite. I'm like, well, that doesn't count. That so you got to go count. again. But at that, we may as well just say three big bites and call it a day. And I think that's better because one bite, like it doesn't give you, 
you, at that point you're just you're eating it because you're eating it. you're not even trying to assess like oh actually maybe this thing might actually be good it's just like all I right mean, i gotta do this if they took three bites of everything that's pretty much dinner it's true. Well, and they also say that, I, you know, I think certainly when they were younger, right, everyone's like, oh, well, you know, they've had broccoli when they were whatever, two, and they don't like it. But I think that the, the data was like you have the kid has to have it between 10 and 15 times before they can really before they really decide that they don't like it. Like there's there's science around the number of times you have to try something before they actually have sort of grown an aversion to it. And so kind of this one bite thing, it's just not getting us there. So, you know. I like the three bites. Actually, one thing that we do, while, while we do have a lot of challenges, one thing that we don't necessarily have challenges with is he'll eat a ton of fruit, which I guess the challenge with that is that sometimes he'll just only eat fruit, which is not great either. And I would say in general, they're decently good about vegetables. Um, our daughter in particular can eat artichokes till the, you know, like mm-hmm. all day long. And they're both pretty good with edamame. So there are some things she's good with uh, raw carrots. There are kind of a few vegetables that we can go back to. Kale, actually kale and soup she's good with when it's kind of cooked down a little bit and it's less raw. And and kale chips, my wife sometimes makes kale chips because it's pretty easy. So vegetables and and fruits we're actually relatively okay with, thankfully. But, you know, because we have so many issues, there are, again, a number of rules that we have. But the, the kind of the number one way that I think about these rules is that I try and be conscious about the relationship that we're creating between them and food. So one thing that I have been um, cautious about is saying you have to eat everything on your plate. And part of that is I kind of read somewhere that, you know, if if kids don't have the ability to, to determine when they're full as they get older, they just don't know what full mm-hmm. means. And, and I think certainly as an adult, right, like when I've tried to lose weight, I think part of it is you don't actually realize you're full. You just, your head says mm-hmm. keep eating. And then the next thing you know, you're ready to pop. And at some point you needed to slow down and say, okay, I'm actually full, even though I don't, even though I don't, I'm not clear that I am. And I, so I kind of want to get them in that mindset now to say, okay, well, you know, this is good. And, and, and part of this is also, so when she started in pre-K three, at school, we transitioned from a daycare where they provided lunch to pre-K three. There was no lunch provided, so I handled all the lunches. And after the, we had a parent-teacher conference. I think it was two months in, and you know we had the typical questions like you know socially how's she doing and all that stuff. And but one of the big questions was you know how's she eating? And they just straight up looked at us and laughed because they're like the amount of food that you gave your daughter at the beginning of the school year was ridiculous cuz i just i was like well maybe she'll eat this and maybe and and you just realize that you know at least for me i, I oftentimes i think they're going to eat more than they're actually capable of eating mm-hmm. and you know with the son like at least for him on a good day he's not necessarily always going to eat a full sandwich you know it, when i make his lunch he'll eat a half sandwich and then he's got some fruit and there's going to be maybe a little, you know, snack on the side. And that's, a, you know, that works for him. But if I try and drop in a full sandwich, like that's just too much food for him. And so I, I don't want them when we're at home to go, okay, you have to clean your plate. So that's, that's one thing. The other thing, again, related to sort of this relationship with food is food is never a reward or to comfort. And I think that that's very easy to do. And you always hear about people, you know, emotionally eating. I, re- I remember when I was in uh, college, I did uh, telephone. It's, you know, one of those where you basically call the 
donors of the school and you're like, hey, give us, you know, please donate like 20 bucks to the school. And, you know, you're basically a telemarketer for the school. And some people didn't always have great experiences at the school. And our school also had like a veterinary school. And so you'd call people up who like their animals came to the school and they died. And they're like, why are you calling? <laughs> and so I remember you just, there were times when I just had these terrible, terrible days where just people are yelling at you for four or six hours on your shift. And then I would just go home and like binge eat something, right? So I'm like, I am capable of emotional eating. And so I think that I want to make, I don't want to train them early on that, hey, the reward is ice cream. I mean, it happens certainly, but I don't, I try to kind of disassociate the food and the sweet with the reward piece of it. I mean, it might be like, well, it's hot out and so let's have an ice cream, but it wouldn't be like, hey, you got a great score on that exam, here's an ice cream. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with comfort. And it's funny because there have been a number of times when my initial instinct when I'm interacting with the kids is like, oh, I'll give them this and that'll make them feel better or I'll give them this to reward them. And I do find myself I've sort of trained myself out after a while, but I did find myself saying, oh, wait a minute, I shouldn't offer that piece of candy or I shouldn't offer that lollipop or whatever. So I think that those are probably my first two rules around handling food. And that that's not really necessarily specifically about the kids. The other thing is, so we talked about this sort of trying everything. And so we're working on this whole, you know, you don't have to eat it. I mean, you don't have to eat the whole thing. You don't have to like it, but you have to try it. And if you try it and you don't like it, we might consider making something else. But I'm really trying to, uh, I've mentioned in a few other podcasts, right? I've sort of trained the kids that we run a restaurant. Oh, you don't like that? I'll make you this. Or what do you want for dinner? Oh, okay, I'll make you this, right? And that we have to get away from that. I do want to get back to sort of the way I grew up. Is like, here's dinner. Eat it or don't eat it. I don't care. I'm not making anything else. And so we're slowly starting to filter that in. So that's a, kind of another rule that we have. Um, you know, getting back to the snacks also, so that you were talking about, you know, one other rule that I have is, and this is, was even very particular during the school year where he would, our son would often come home and not have finished his lunch. And of course he's hungry. And I'm like, okay, well, look, if you want a snack at home, you have to eat your lunch first. Like there's no way around that. I made that lunch for you. Like there's a, there's a rhyme and a reason there's, you know, all the food groups are in there. You're going to eat that first. And then if you're still hungry, I'll give you a snack. I think ultimately we might be moving away from snacking entirely, which will be a little bit difficult because they do snack at school. And I always feel like, well, they should be eating every couple hours. They're small. They get hungry. You know, their stomachs are smaller. They can't, you know, the meals don't last them as long. But I do find that we are snacking a little bit too close to dinner time. And so I think that's another concern is that, you know, by the time dinner rolls around, he's already snacked. And they could be healthy snacks too, right? It might've been like, whatever carrots or, um, you know, a yogurt, but it still creates a problem around dinner time because now we're eating, he's not hungry. And what's he going to do? He's going to pick up a toy and play. Right. So it just creates the, those snacks create a domino effect down the line that we're really trying to tackle. So, uh, those are the big things. And then I guess the last kind of one of the last things I have is you see the, the dessert night thing, right? So we do have a dessert night and while generally again, we don't force the kids to finish their plate. That is, I guess, the one uh, exception is if it's dessert night, if you want to have dessert, like that's a privilege. Mm-hmm. You don't get to have that if you're only going to eat half of what was put on your plate. So I do struggle a little bit about, well, you know, is that 
you know, does that line up with the previous statement of, well, we don't, uh, we don't, we don't ask the kids to finish, but I will say that our son, you know, if he doesn't want to eat something, he won't. And there's no amount of like, Hey, you know, if you can have dessert, if you finish this, if he's done, he's like, no, I'll skip dessert. It's fine. I'm just not, I'm not going to eat that, which I'm like, great. That's fine. Like you seem to know your boundaries and you know, if you don't want to go for dessert, then knock yourself out. That's fine. So, you know, I think our rules are pretty specific to the fact that, you know, the kids, well, our son in particular is a little bit more difficult when it comes to mealtimes. And so that's kind of how we got around those. Jim, do you have any tips and tricks, you know, relative to how you guys handle mealtimes and, and sort of reinforcing, I guess, the kinds of behaviors that you guys want to see on the kids? Yeah, the reinforcing is important and similar to you with the relationship to food. We don't, you know, if they're done eating you know, the last to be excused. Are you full? Yes. Then you're excused. Mm-hmm. And trying to, and I think that's another reason why the screen time is a problem because they get distracted. I mean, part of it is a sort of physical education is learning to recognize when you are sated and when your body's mm-hmm. had enough and your stomach is full. And, you know, so they've got, um, before they be excused, are they full? Yes. Did you drink enough water? Yes. Uh, you know, finish your veggies before you have a second slice of pizza, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, just trying to, there's a certain physical education and then also objectively just trying to make sure that they've got the right right uh, quantity and, and character of calories. Um, even so, you know, the, as I said earlier, snacks are kind of a problem and I'm trying to, trying to uh, pair those back. And what happens, I think, is they get bored, you know? And so, you know, you're thinking, well, whatever you said reminded me of this, that, uh, you know, so we've got breakfast, they got to have a mid-morning snack. Then we have lunch. Lunch is usually on the earlier side. And then we've got another afternoon snack, but no snacks after three. Because mm-hmm. after three, like you said, it interferes with dinner. And so, you know, I'll, I'll pair them back, even if they're getting really hungry towards dinner time. Just mm-hmm. wait, you know, we're half an hour away from dinner. Uh, because I think, in, you know, sitting, having that schedule means that I make the snack. Is that they've got, you know, some sort of uh, sandwich or, you know, carrots or something like that, slices of apple. Um, whereas if they just try to snack, they'll grab the candy or the potato chips or, you know, we were laughing about those veggie sticks earlier, you know, things that are just trash. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that sometimes it's just boredom, you know, that they're not really mm-hmm. hungry. They're mm-hmm. just, they want some like food entertainment, you know? Mm-hmm. So tr- trying to sit, to, skip, excuse me, trying to stick to that schedule of the, you know, the morning snack, afternoon snack, and no snacks after a certain time uh, have been helpful. Um, again, this isn't a unique idea with me as far as getting them veggies, I'll sneak them into smoothies you know, put some spinach in there or something else. So at least they're getting something green in days when they're not eating enough. And then uh, something that I've, that I practice is finding something they like and, and holding them to it. You know, so I've got a couple of stories that, that, uh, that I can share about this. One is that they used to go to a daycare where the, the lady was, um, was vegan. And so they, mm-hmm. she'd make these very elaborate lunches and she'd send us pictures of them. And they're like, you know, quinoa with mm-hmm. shredded kale and <laughs> bean sprouts and nutritional yeast and and, they, and the girls would eat them they'd yeah. eat them and they wouldn't complain and there'd be one or twice or once or twice mm-hmm. uh, the older one would come home very hungry because she decided she didn't you know she wouldn't eat the meal but she didn't get anything alternatively right, right. that's what the lady was that's serving what it is, yep. so they can't fool me when they say like they don't eat veggies and they're like, <laughs> i know you do i've seen the picture you eat stuff that i would even have a hard time choking mm-hmm. down uh, and so anyhow, finding something that they, they like and then holding them to it. For example, it was uh, broccoli for a long time, you know, that they, they liked broccoli, they ate broccoli. And so then we get that, we have that for dinner and they say, you know, I don't want it. Like, well, 
you know, yes, you do. <laughs> you, <laughs> you eat, you, this, this is like your veggie, right? That's the mm-hmm. one that you said you would eat. So, um, you know, even if they don't want to be experimental, uh, mm-hmm. you know, find something that they like. And then also do be experimental. For example, we had roasted cauliflower a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the younger one just fell in love with it. Mm. That's great. You know, mm. I didn't like cauliflower until I was in my 30s. So, yeah, good on her. Yeah, that's a win. My children, my children also love broccoli, but they're particular. So, our son will only eat the top, and our daughter will only eat the bottom. So it does work out pretty well. <laughs> but when you're cutting them, there's always like way more tops than bottoms. So like, he, I I always have like a mismatch because I cut them all up, and then there's like I got a ton of tops and I'm missing some of the bottoms. But it does make it uh, at least that they'll I can usually get the, through the whole crown somehow. Uh, and but I do often forget like which kid likes which part. But um, yeah, that's a funny one. So you know, relative to kind of the, our challenges, you know, again, my number one thing is that they have to stop believing that they live in a restaurant. And so I've just sort of stopped asking what they wanted. And I mean, even for breakfast, like during the school year, I'd be like, all right, here are like five different choices. What do you want? And that's that's the problem. Right. The problem is, is that then they go, well, I don't want I want six. And I'm like, well, I don't I don't have a six. Right. You don't want any of these. So I think towards maybe the last month of school, I stopped doing that. And I'm like, I just put something on the table. I'm like, eat it or don't eat it. I don't care. And surprisingly, I rarely get talked back from that. Like it's it's pretty rare when somebody says, I'm not going to eat that. Yeah. And it's take that option away. Right. It's just like, here it is. Do what you want with it. But that's that is what is being served. And so that has been helpful. And I think also was somewhat surprising to me when I just went cold turkey and there was no pushback. So I think, you know, as other parents are kind of thinking about how to work through, because I I think this whole like, oh, they didn't eat what I made thing is like so many people have this. Right. And so I think it's one of those like just put it there and you might be surprised at you know, how they react to it. Another thing that I've started to do is adjust my serving sizes in particular when there are specific things that I want to eat. So like why I want them to eat. So like if it's, if we're having chips and a sandwich for lunch, I don't, we don't get chips too often, but if they have chips, I'll only give them like four or five and then they have to eat half the sandwich if they want four yeah. or five more. And then once the sandwich is done, then you can get a little more. But I think that was one of the early things too that I was noticing is if, you know, they'll, our son in particular, he'll just eat the stuff he wants first and he'll leave everything else behind. And then, He's not interested in eating anything else after that. So that's one of those things that uh, I've been doing a lot. One thing that I did sort of pick up from school, uh, at our school what they do is they sort of reward good behavior with these little like, I think at the time they were almost like little cheap poker chips or something like that, but it was sort of to reinforce good behavior. And so I've started implementing that with our son because he's, you know, he's, he's five. So that's that type of thing still works. And so... This actually ties into their allowance, but he gets, you know, a number of, now we just moved to Legos. I don't remember what we used to do before, but so every time he, you know, he does something that we want to reinforce, he gets, he just puts a Lego in this little jar that we have. And then after a certain number of Legos have been collected, he can effectively use that like allowance money. And so, um, you know, a certain number of Legos equals a certain number of, there's like a dollar value. And so it sort of ties into this larger reward piece. And that seems to be working. So the reason I bring this up is that he does get to pick a Lego, a reward, 
if he tries something. And again, that's only because he doesn't try a lot. And so I'm trying to sort of reinforce this positive behavior. So that does seem to work more or less. Well, I guess maybe less than more, but it does sort of seem to work. So there's that. The We also do kind of want them to drink, you know, at least a glass of milk. And sometimes he's hesitant. And what I'm really desperate, we'll just have a milk race. So I'll, you know, all right, let's go. And, you know, I'll chug a glass of water and he'll chug a glass of milk. And that, he's almost always up for that. Like, I think it's, you know, they're so competitive at this age. It's like, how do we tap into that competitive nature to get something done that we want done? And that can also be like, oh, let's clean up the house. Like, who can clean up this thing fastest? So I think tapping into those those um, competitive juices is always good. You know, in terms of like just school stuff, I tend to make full batches of baked goods at the beginning of the week. And then, you know, we can reheat it or freeze it. It's like pancakes, you know, then they just get thrown in the toaster oven and we can eat those all week long. And I don't have to make breakfast again or my dad will make us waffles sometimes and then we'll just freeze them all and then you know we can stretch them for a month or something because uh, he's not eating them every day i also during the school year think about when i'm thinking about dinners i'm also thinking about so because i plan the meals for the week on a friday i'm like okay which of these dinners can likely be repurposed for a school lunch and where does it make the most sense during the course of that week to plop that in and based on all of the other recipes and how many leftovers I expect and how many things I expect that they're going to like. And and then, you know, one other thing that we do for our daughter is so now that I'm kind of moving towards this, you know, this is not a restaurant, eat what I serve. The sort of transition point that I've made for her is, hey, you can pick one meal out of the week. And there is, I mean, she kind of has a list. I've been sort of collecting this list over, I don't know, six months to a year. So we do have maybe 20 or 30 recipes that we can go to that she's like, oh, I'll, I'll eat any of these. And so she gets to pick it and it's leads to something that I made. I know it tastes good. So, you know, we can do that. And then also when I make new recipes, cause I usually try and rotate, you know, on, on a seven day week, I try and get maybe four new recipes, four to five new recipes in a week. And then she'll tell me, oh, add, add that to my list. So it's just like a Google sheet that I have so I can kind of check in on it. And that works out pretty well for me to be able to say, you know, okay, here's the list. Pick whatever you want this week, and that's your meal for the week. And then I guess the last thing that I think about often is, you know, with our first, like I mentioned, she was a little bit picky and didn't eat a ton of stuff at the beginning. And, you know, we did go to the pediatrician and we said, look, we're a little bit concerned. And she said, look, the, the kids the kids are not going to starve. Relax. And in doing the research at the beginning of the, at the, beginning of the show, I, I came across this quote that I liked, and it's, this, uh, it's from uh, Dr. Natalie Mirth, who's a pediatrician and, and she's a registered dietitian. She said, a hungry child will eventually eat. Your best shot is having your child hungry at mealtimes when there is a variety of food. And I think that goes back to, again, the point that we were both making about late afternoon snack times is that, you know, even if it is a healthy snack at four o'clock, if dinner's coming up at five or 5.30, they're not going to be hungry. And so, you know, it's just kind of throwing your whole rhythm off. And I think what you're trying to accomplish. So I think one of these things is I'm, I'm really starting to reevaluate the afternoon snack. And I think like you, we're probably going to start looking at having a cutoff and it might be a little bit later for us. Dinner is on the table, maybe at six or seven, depending. So maybe the cutoff is like three 30, but I think that's a good rule to just sort of, all right, 
that's it. You're done. You got to wait now. And, um, you know, so those are kind of the things that work for us. We hope you found today's episode informative. If you'd like to support the podcast and hear more discussions around fatherhood, please subscribe and drop us a review. If you have any questions, hit us up on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash That's P-A-P-A-E-S-T-F-A-T-I-G-U-E. Thanks for listening.